0: Welcome to the Building a Story Brand Podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. JJ. Hi, Don. They have called you. They want you to come into the trailer. You go trailer. into the trailer okay. and there's a phone. The phone is hooked up to the bank across the street. Uh-huh. There is a person holding people hostage. Yes. In the bank. Yes. You have to talk them into giving up the hostages. Oh my goodness. So that nobody gets hurt. <laughs> okay. How do you lead the conversation?
1: <laughs> I think it <you> started with, <laughs> "Hey, what's hey up? We're like what's you? Do? What are we you haven't even, talked in a while. Have, whoa,
0: good <laughs> to hear from you, buddy.
1: <laughs> what's funny is I don't know if I've ever thought about that phone call, but I definitely have thought about being in the bank as a hostage. Oh, really?
0: All the time. Well, if you've thought about that, tell me how you get out of it.
1: Well... Sometimes I'm like, oh, I'd become their best friend. I know what <laughs> you're going sure. through. A lot of
0: empathy. <laughs> I don't know what you're going through. <laughs>
1: and I always do that. I go <laughs> to a situation where, like, if I'm in, like, you a new situation. You use the tools that have
0: worked for you in the past. Yeah,
1: to try to get out. But I've always, I think a lot of guys think this way. Like, you're always kind of looking at the door. And if something happens, it's like yeah, that Jason that. Bourne. Like, he's like, I've just clocked where everybody is in the room. and I know. And I always think that I would be really good in those situations. But I don't think I actually would be. Really? <laughs> yeah. Do you see your – like, how would you handle hostage situation? Would you rather be on the phone or – well, you probably wouldn't want to be in the bank. Well, I but... <laughs> don't have
0: a lot of experience with that. I have Weird. a lot of experience negotiating. Weird. That. You don't have a lot of hostage situation? I think I would want to know, yeah. just for my all the things that we think about with story, what is the climactic scene for the hostage taker? Yeah. What, is, what do they he want? or she want? Yep. You know, they want a helicopter full of money. What do they want? And then once you find that out, reverse engineer from a true perspective, Yeah. right? We're not going to get that, right? So you're surrounded by cops. You're not going to get that. Do you want something said to the press? Yeah. They're not going to get their climactic scene. Mm -hmm. So then you redefine the climactic scene that they can actually have. Yep. That is true. So is there some thing that you're wanting to say? Mm -hmm. Are you, you know, is there an ex-girlfriend that you're mad at that you want to hear a message? Yeah. You know, what's the other climactic scene that we can get you? And I think that's what I'm looking for. And then you're just looking to get it for them. Yeah. Right. So in exchange for these hostages, you're going to get this and hopefully you'll be satisfied. I think if you go into it saying, okay, I'm going to try to trick this person into believing a lie so that they will give me, that's a very quick way to get some people killed. Yeah. I wouldn't go that direction, but Chris Voss knows more about this than anybody. He's got a best, <laughs> business book called Never Split the Difference, and it's uh-huh. about negotiation. Yeah. And he's an FBI negotiator. Yeah, so he
1: has been in that So between trailer. the three of us,
0: <laughs> if the three of us competed, oh, yeah. he would probably win.
1: Well, I still have hope for myself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, I thought during the interview, I assumed that he would be pulling all sorts of... That he's
1: like watching you? And if he did, he's
0: the greatest ninja of all time because it was the most casual, entertaining conversation. And he was actually willing to say, I don't know, quite a lot. Like, I'm not sure what I would do there, blah, blah, blah. But he had some great tips and techniques. And of course... He would tell you, you're always in a negotiation, yeah. and the negotiation that is the most dangerous this is one you don't know you're in. Yes. Yep. And I said, well, give me an example. And he said, okay. Well, do you want to get lunch today? And I'm like, sure. And he goes, okay. Well, we just negotiated. Yeah. <laughs> and you capitulated to me very quickly, yeah. you know, or whatever. Yeah. I think the point that we're making is yes. negotiation is important. You're always going to be negotiating. Always and Chris has some great thoughts on. It. He's got a best-selling book. He's such a winsome guy yep. and fascinating. You and I would use examples of how do we like decrease our costs on shipping. He's like, yeah. how do I get those people out of the bank?
1: Yeah, for real. <laughs> yeah.
0: And how do I get this <laughs> like, terrorist? That's a <laughs> real situation. Yeah, how they this <laughs> terrorist to actually you know, give in and not use that bomb yeah. he's had a world of experience he reminds me of like the Big Lebowski of negotiators really just, yeah. like, just chill <laughs> and just yeah, chill. laid back yeah. <laughs> and- but I like talking to him uh-huh. and so let's not wait anymore we'll actually talk a little bit more when he's done yep. uh, but here's my interview with Chris Voss author of Never Split the Difference Chris Voss, thanks for joining us.
2: Hey, I'm happy to be here. This is cool. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Did you ever expect that your life would turn out like this with a best-selling book going all over the country speaking to business leaders about how to negotiate? Did you ever see that coming?
2: No, I suppose, you know, you probably kind of hope for stuff like this, but you don't really think it'll happen. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's very cool.
0: I would imagine it's really cool. And did you see always when you were doing FBI negotiation and kidnap and hostage negotiation, Were you always able to see those business parallels?
2: I was always looking for them from early on when I first started learning the process with the FBI because I just thought, you know, if this has such an impact when people are in contentious situations, why shouldn't it have the same kind of impact when we're trying to get along?
0: Yeah. You talk about the fact that everybody is in a negotiation all the time and it's dangerous if you don't realize that. What do you mean when you say it's dangerous when you don't realize you're in a negotiation?
2: Yeah, the most dangerous negotiation is the one you don't know you're in. Yeah. And most people are in negotiations five, six times a day.
0: Give me an example. Like, what's an example of a negotiation I don't know I'm in?
2: What time do you want to get together?
0: <laughs> That's a negotiation,
2: right? Yeah, or um, I want to go down to the Dialogue Cafe for a little while. Do you mind holding down a fort while I'm gone?
0: Gotcha. Any sort of request? is a negotiation.
2: Exactly, any sort of request of your time, anything that affects your time. Most people only think they're negotiating when money's involved. Money's a commodity involved occasionally. The more valuable commodity that's always involved is your time. Even would you think about this?
0: Do you see your money as time? I was literally just talking to my team about this what yesterday, right guys? That at some point time becomes something that you actually have to think of like money. If you can go somewhere for 20 grand, but you know it's going to cost you forty. That's not a good negotiation. Did you think of that from the beginning that your time is really money?
2: It's still a struggle. Yeah, we, we try to, but it's still very much a struggle. And everybody underestimates how long it takes to get something done, especially if it's something they do all the time. Like for example, I can remember we put together a training program to train a hostage negotiation team in the United Arab Emirates. The company I was working for I said we're going to have to write new stuff for this, and they were like, "Cool, all right, you know, just let us know." how much time we'll figure out fair compensation. And I can remember thinking like, yeah, you know, maybe I could write a block of instruction, an hour block. Maybe it'll take me a day. So let me guess eight hours to write it. And the Google response was anywhere from 20 to 40 to 80 hours per hour. And I thought, that's crazy. So I started tracking the hours and I found out that typically for me to get a block of instruction to where I wanted it, by the time I was done, it was a good 80 hours. Wow. So most people have no idea how much time they're investing in stuff.
0: Somebody comes to you and says, we need to learn how to negotiate. That's what your company does now, right? You, you yeah. put together those kinds of manuals. How do you interact with that client? What's the first question you ask when they say, we need to learn how to negotiate?
2: Well, and that's a great question to start with because it already means that you're open to learning. Hmm. I get scared of people. Somebody walks up to me and says, I'm a great negotiator. <laughs> like fine I don't need to waste my time with you because what you're telling me is your mind is closed hmm. to learning if you've already anointed yourself is great like you would never hear those words come out of Warren Buffett's mouth do you right. think he's a good negotiator he may be the best on a planet We need to learn to negotiate. That's a great sign. It's an indicator of being open to learning.
0: So you have to communicate to them. You got to be open.
2: Yeah. It's coachability, really. Yeah. So now I'm going to get a quick diagnosis of, you know, the number one thing holding you back. It's going to be one of three primary things because we all, the entire planet breaks down into one of three conflict types.
0: And what are those three conflict types?
2: For layman's terms is fight, flight, and make friends. These are the three types of cavemen that survived when they were faced with an uncertain situation. Thomas Kilman Conflict Mode Instrument, which is what we use to refine it down, are assertives, accommodators, and analysts.
0: And literally, when you're negotiating with somebody, let's say there's a kidnap situation back in your FBI days, are you listening to find out if they're a fight, flight, or make friend kind of person?
2: All right, so two types of negotiations. Kidnapping negotiation is a very different negotiation than... People trapped in a bank. Okay. So, kidnapping negotiation is a commodities exchange, and the guy on the other side is going to be the exact profile of the procurement negotiator in every business. Really? <laughs> procurement people, contracts people match up almost exactly the same as, as the negotiators for international kidnapping.
0: So, when you're dealing with a kidnap situation, It's not like their adrenaline is really pumping and running, and they're a little crazy in the brain. I mean, obviously, I don't want to affirm a kidnapper, but this is a business transaction to them.
2: thousand percent.
0: Wow. And so they're calm.
2: Yeah. It's another day at the office for them. They're trading the commodity. The commodity happens to be people. But if I get bent out of shape over that, that's my problem, not theirs.
0: Wow. And so they got somebody. You want that somebody back. They've got some demands. They want some people let out of prison wherever in Turkey they're saying what they want right is that what happens first or do you not even let them say what they want and you come in and say okay here are the ground rules who opens the negotiation
2: now the smart negotiator always lets the other side go first
0: is that right i mean i've heard the opposite before that the smart negotiator sets the price or whatever and that's the gravity of the negotiation you're saying let them go first why
2: who'd you hear that from
0: I can't tell you because I don't want to throw him under the bus. <laughs>
2: <laughs> My academic brothers and sisters at Harvard Law School, at Wharton, at uh, Harvard Business School—they'll all tell you that the smart negotiator goes first.
0: Yeah, that's—I mean, I've always. Hey, so that. You
2: ask what the data. Does Warren Buffett say that? No. Does Oprah Winfrey say that? No. The top practitioners, the majority of them, not all of them. Now there are some of the top practitioners that want to go first. But the top practitioners who want the data, I want you to go first. That's data I want. I want to get you talking. There's some people that say the secret of negotiation is the art of letting the other side have your way.
0: (laughs) I I hope everybody caught what you just did. That's pretty fantastic.
2: I'm going to get you talking. Yeah. What I want to do is I want to get you bidding against yourself in some form or another. And I'll only do that. By being deferential, by being punching some emotional intelligence buttons.
0: You're punching the emotional intelligence buttons to find out what they want or what they really want. And is the key, I'm trying to learn here, is the key to not assume that you know what they really want in this situation. Where if I open up with the opening chip, right... I'm assuming that I know what you want, and there may be something that really surprises me about what you want, and I'm trying to find that out. Is that right?
2: I'm making two assumptions if you want to go first, that you know what the other side wants and that you know what the best deal is.
0: Gotcha. And you've got to tease that out of them. And you do that by hitting emotional intelligence buttons. What are those buttons?
2: Well, uh, first of all, I I need to get you to drop your fears a little bit. Uh, We're wired to be fearful.
0: It's a survival mechanism.
2: It's a survival mechanism. There's nothing you can do about it. It doesn't matter who you are. Warren Buffett's wired to be fearful. Oprah Winfrey's wired to be fearful. Jihadi John is wired to be fearful. Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi is wired to be fearful. It's part of the human nature condition. It's the way you're built. Yeah. So that being a given, I need to find some ways to dial your fears down. It's not that hard. It's very counterintuitive. Most people won't do it because they're afraid of it and because they're wired to be fearful. That's one of the buttons. The other thing I'm going to do is I'm going to get you correcting me.
0: How do I get you to dial down your fear? Can you give us at least one tip on how to do that?
2: Sure. Do an inventory of your gut instinct of everything you'd want to deny. Everything I want to deny? There's never going to be a situation you're going to walk into where you don't want to say to the other side, look, I don't want you to think that we're bullies here. I don't want you to think we're being disrespectful. I don't want you to think we're pushing you around. Anything that you would want to say, I don't want you to think. Now, what you've done intuitively is identify the other side's fears. Ah, gotcha. We've all got a tremendous gut instinct for that, far more than we realize.
0: And that's a good move. That's to you saying, hey, we don't want to push you around.
2: No, 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 you're getting ahead of me. Okay, go ahead. All right, so step one, what would you want to deny? Okay. Step one. Second part is let your listening be granular. Okay. Because I didn't say yet that you deny it. That's gotcha. what I really want you to understand. We're going to do the opposite, and that's what scares people.
0: Oh, so you take a gut-level instinct of everything that you don't want them to think is true, but you don't actually encourage them to think it's not true. That's more self-assessment to figure out where you're going to start.
2: It's just step one on the assessment process. Gotcha. Okay. Be careful where you jump from there, because where you jump from there is is the part that's going to scare you.
0: Scare me. I'm ready.
2: Now I'm going to want you to say, I'm sure it seems like we're being disrespectful. I'm sure it seems like we're pushing you around. I'm sure it seems like we're not listening. I'm sure it seems like we don't care about you. Okay. I'm sure it seems like that we're trying to cut your throat.
0: And and what does that do to the person that you're talking to? Instead of saying, I'm not trying to, instead I say, it seems like we're probably bullying you around. What's the psychological difference that happens in the negotiatees? brain all
2: right so let's go from psychology to neuroscience because neuroscience is a lot more accurate okay they ran an experiment where they induced negative emotions into people and it's a simple thing I, I show you a picture that makes you scared that makes you sad that makes you lonely that makes you feel isolated whatever it is i can induce emotions i'm going to say, i'm gonna show you this picture i want you to tell me how you react to it okay what does it make you feel They put the people into fMRIs, which scans the electrical activity in the brain. We know where your negative emotions are housed. It's in a portion of the brain called the amygdala. Mm -hmm. And when I show you a picture that makes you feel a negative emotion and I'm scanning your brain, we watch the electrical activity right there increase. Like a little light bulb that goes on. Lights right up, says negative emotions being experienced. So then I say, what are you feeling? I ask you to simply label it, simply identify it. And every single time they ask somebody to identify the negative emotion, as soon as they identified it, as soon as they self-labeled, the light bulb went off.
0: Wow. As soon as they called it fear in a granular sense, that goes away.
2: Right. Every time. So
0: self-awareness is, is key there.
2: Self-awareness is key. And this is neuroscience again. So this is not some of the time. This was every time. Gotcha. Like Gravity. You don't believe in gravity, it doesn't matter. Gravity doesn't care if you believe in it. It's still there.
0: (laughs) So when I say, it seems like I'm trying to bully you, does that cause them to acknowledge the fact that that's actually their fear? Is that what we're heading toward?
2: It triggers them to think about it, exactly the same way the photo does. Ah. It actually, that statement is designed to bypass part of their brain and get them to think, well, does it seem like I think you're bullying me. Well, (laughs) second ago it did, but it goes Well, if
0: I'm sitting there negotiating a bag of chips at a gas station, I look at the clerk and it says, I'm sure it seems like I'm trying to bully you about the price of these chips. That's an intimidating statement to actually make to somebody.
2: No, you feel it's going to be intimidating because your negativity and the fear mechanism we talked about a few minutes ago kicking in in your own brain.
0: I feel like I'm being not conflict avoidant. I feel like I'm going for conflict. And what's happening in the person's brain is they calm down?
2: Their reaction is like, wow, you're really accountable. You're really honest. Wow, that is, that is kind of counterintuitive. It's maybe the single most powerful skill we teach people. We've got an entire strategy built around it. It's the hardest one to get people to do until they see it work a couple times. And then it's the equivalent of Gandalf's wand. I'm telling you, you wave that wand at somebody regularly one of our major clients who's in a private equity firm told us about a deal they negotiated just this week. And he, we call this approach the accusations audit. When we go at it at length, we list all 14, 15 things you might be thinking and just lay them all out all in a row. And he said, we sat down, we did the accusations audit. The deal made it suff.
0: Wow. Because everybody in the room calmed down. What happens in the person that you're negotiating with mind after they get calm? Do they start talking a little bit more? Do they start telling you what they want? Is that when the negotiation can begin? Because it seems like step one is calming somebody down. Is that right?
2: The negotiation already began the minute you started thinking about it. The most dangerous negotiation is the one you don't know you're in. It started as soon as you start gathering information or using that information to try to create influence. The negotiation has started. Gotcha.
0: Okay. So if I've calmed this person down, what happens after that? If I do an assessment of what I want to acknowledge and word it in the way it seems like I'm trying to bully you, it may seem like I'm trying to bully you, their brain calms down. What's my next move?
2: Your next move is to shut up. Really? (laughs) And let them talk? Shut up. Yeah. Let them talk. See how much of the deal is going to make itself because the way to make a deal is not to get the other side to say yes. Okay. The way to make a deal is to get the other side to offer you what you want and then for you to say yes to them.
0: Have I already prepared before this negotiation started to try to figure out exactly what I do want?
2: An initial preparation. Okay. Intellectually, I can lay out for you why it's not possible to know what the deal is. It's just not. Huh. So you want to get a rough idea of what a good deal might look like. And then you got to plunge in because... It's an asymmetric world, as they say. Uh, it's impossible to have perfect information. Not only is the other side hiding things from you, which they are, but they're hiding them because they know they're important. Right. If they're important and you don't know what they are, it's not possible to know what the deal is going to look like until you know what those things are. And that's why it's not possible to know the best deal before you sit down. I'll be right
0: back with the rest of my fascinating conversation with Chris Boston in just a second. But listen, if you want to figure out how to message your products in such a way that people buy it, it is a kind of negotiation. I mean, you are guiding people through a series of ideas that endear them to your product, create trust, and make them want to buy your product so that they can solve a problem that is a technique it's a strategy it's a methodology and we actually teach it at our story brand marketing workshops we've got one coming up april 14th through 16th in nashville tennessee about 200 fellow business owners that is people who are in your shoes they are trying to move product they are great at creating product great at selling product but not great at marketing product their websites aren't working their emails aren't actually creating orders we're all going to get together. And we're going to figure this out. I'm going to take you through the process that helps you clarify your message. And then on Tuesday afternoon, before the workshop ends, we're actually going to create marketing collateral that gets you your money back. We're going to talk about creating a one-liner, a wireframe website. We're going to talk a little bit about email campaigns. You're going to leave not only with a clear message, but with some practical application so that that message makes you money. If you'd like to get this done in 48 hours, that is, you've read the book, you've listened to the podcast, you say, you know, I just need to give 48 hours to for this so that I can have a lot more money coming in for the next couple of years, sign up for a workshop today. You want to go to storybrand.com and register and get it done in 48 hours. If you've wondered whether you're doing the StoryBrand framework right, you can leave knowing you absolutely are. It's going to take a 48-hour workshop in Nashville, Tennessee. It is worth your time to come. Thousands of other people have come and that's how they feel about it, you can join them. Become a StoryBrand alumni. Go to StoryBrand.com and register for a workshop today. I will see you April 14th. It seems like in your history, and in your incredible experience, anybody would assume that you are, and I mean this, I hope you take it the right way, incredibly masculine, incredibly tough, walk around with a gun on your hip, And those people tend to be akin to control freaks. And what you're telling me is control is the wrong instinct. You got to go into this more like an artist. Is that the case?
2: You did a great job of listening, man. (laughs) thousand percent.
0: That is very, very counterintuitive. So you're going into the negotiation going, yeah, there's some things that I want here, but we've got to dance with this and see what the two of us can create together in order to come to some other conclusion that maybe neither of us has, has thought about that is acceptable for both of us.
2: Not just acceptable, but extraordinary for both of us.
0: Okay, give me an example in the real world of a hostage situation or kidnapping situation where you were able to go into the situation going, because of course you want the, the people who are kidnapped out, you want the hostages out. So there's a something concrete that you want there, but you've got to kind of create some sort of art here that looks differently than either of you expected going in.
2: In the book, one of the first stories I talk about is Chase Manhattan bank robbery Okay, in Brooklyn. You know, we started out, we want to let the hostages go. Yeah, how do we start that? Let's, let, let the hostages go.
0: <laughs> Is this a bank robbery gone bad, or was it an intended hostage situation?
2: They meant to take hostages. They didn't mean to get caught. Gotcha. They wanted to force the hostages to open the vault. Bank robbers rolled in the door. They knew there were going to be some tellers inside. The bank wasn't open yet. The ringleader walked up to one of the tellers, hit her in the head with a gun, then forced the barrel of the gun into her mouth, pulled the trigger on an empty chamber, Hmm. and then said, open the vault, which of course she did. So they meant to take the hostages to get into the vault. Gotcha. Tripped the alarm, got surrounded, got trapped inside. Didn't mean for that to happen.
0: How long was it after they tripped that alarm that you were on the scene?
2: We engaged negotiations about two hours after the alarm went on. Wow. That's a typical response time to that type of situation, which is actually a very unusual situation. Bank robbers with hostages happen on TV all the time with hostages that are trapped inside very rare event in the United States. Bad guys almost always get away before the police show up.
0: So in that initial conversation, did you do some of the things that we were talking about? Did you say, hey, it seems like I'm tra- probably trying to haul you off to jail, but how did you start that one?
2: So let's back up a little bit. Like okay. the word, but is a bad word. Okay. My son's my director of operations in my company, phenomenal negotiator. And he likes to say, nobody wants you putting... Your butt in their face.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
2: When you feel like the word "butch" is getting ready to come out of your mouth, that's when you should shut up. Shut up and count thousands to yourself.
0: So you would say, I'm sure it seems like we're here to haul you off to jail or shoot you. One, one thousand, two, one thousand, 1,000,
2: I might say a little shorter. I'm sure it seems like we're threatening you. Gotcha. Actually, with a banker, I'd probably start out by saying like, I know you want to get out of here. You know, you want to live. It's a great thing about a demand for uh, a vehicle to escape. It's an automatic indicator that they plan to live. It's an admission
0: they want to live. Yeah.
2: Anyway, so when a bank robber, we're working on these guys to let hostages go, and suddenly one of my colleagues senses the bank robber I'm talking to wants to come out himself. And this is a great thing about negotiating in a team, because I didn't hear this. If you're the talker, you're going to miss two-thirds of the important things that are said easily.
0: Is that because you're just calculating in your brain the whole time, or adrenaline's going, or why are you missing that?
2: And this is just not hostage negotiators. This is business negotiators. Yeah, so, absolutely. The fire hose of information is beyond our capacity to absorb, even if we're not talking. And now you take part of your brain offline to construct a sentence, you're going to miss data, you're going to miss information. Our, basically, our mental capacity runs at about Four to 600 pieces of information per minute that we can process. The amount of information coming off someone in a typical conversation is just around 1,500 pieces of information. Wow. And that's if you're not talking. So that's why your wingman is always going to pick stuff up that you're not going to pick up. We always negotiate, importantly, negotiations with two people. Gotcha.
0: Okay, so this person is, it's clear they want to live. They're looking for a car. You've actually said to them... I'm sure it seems like we're going to try to hurt you or whatever. And then you shut up. Now you're waiting for information from them, right?
2: Well, any, anyway, one of my colleagues senses this guy it would actually wants to come out. And I, and I get this note. I'm on the phone and somebody hands me a note. And I'm coachable. And it says, ask him if he wants to come out. So I said to him on the phone, I said, you want to come out? And he says, I don't know how I'd do that. Hmm. Which is a great big giant, yes, please. <laughs> get me out of here. I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. Yeah. Will you help <laughs> me, right? Will you help me? Yeah. So now, bang, a 180 degree turn in the negotiations. We're going from trying to get a hostage released to somebody who desperately wants to get out of there without getting killed. Yeah. And about 90 minutes later, the guys surrender it to me face to face out in front of the bank. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs>
0: Can you walk me through? That seems like a yawning chasm between he admitted he wanted to get out and you're meeting
2: face-to-face with him. It is.
0: What were some of the steps? What were some of the tools that you used to get him out of there?
2: Great thing about that question is the problem we all have in negotiations is we think of two things in advance, what we want and how we're going to get there. Okay. And letting go of either of those are a big problem for most people. Like I go into a negotiation, somebody will say, what do you want? I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) i got to find out. How are you going to get it out of them? Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to get them talking. One of our favorite phrases is we're going to find out what they have to say. We're going to agree to another meeting. (laughs) Ah. Okay. I don't worry about where I'm going or how I'm going to get there because I know the process will uncover it. And I believe in a process. The process is I'm going to get you talking. I'm going to let you talk yourself into my deal. And I don't care how we get there, but I know if I let you go, I'm going to get there faster.
0: What do you mean when you say let you go? You mean give them the freedom, don't try to control it, don't try to guide them, don't try to push them, don't try to pull them?
2: Yeah, as soon as you and I start fighting over the path, that creates a tremendous amount of friction, which means you're going to push back just to push back. You're going to be obstinate. It's going to trigger your instinctive need for autonomy. Right, It's another human nature driver. If you don't think autonomy is a human nature driver of every human on the planet, point to me a society that was happy being slaves.
0: (laughs) They need to own this process. Exactly. And it doesn't sound like you're tricking them into owning the process. It actually sounds like you're giving them ownership of the process. Am I correct?
2: Yeah, because see, the real issue in any negotiation— is how. It's not yes. Yeah. If we don't work out how, our yes is meaningless. We used to say yes is nothing without a how. Actually, what I believe now, yes is nothing. How is everything. Yes is nothing. How is everything. So we got to get into the how. Now you're only going to execute the how or even remember what it is if it was your idea.
0: Okay, Chris, give me some practical advice here. Here's what I've got. I got a real life situation. I get off this call with you, I walk outside, I got to drive to my office. On the way to my office, I've got a call with a gentleman who I want to leave the CEO position of an organization and come join my C-suite in my organization. You know, I'm not in a huge hurry, but this is somebody I'd like to work with us. He's pretty locked in in the state that he lives in and the town that he lives in. He's getting a good salary. He's pretty happy. He's got other opportunities. What do I do? Before you're talking to you, I would have said, here's how much I'll pay you. Here's how great Nashville is. Here's how great my company is. Here's every benefit and feature that you can get if you join us. What do you think? And then let him start countering to that. How should I handle that?
2: My first question is, probably would start with a how. I'd say with something where I'm driving for a no. You'd be shocked at what people are comfortable saying no to. Okay. What you're trying to do is you're trying to get this guy's mind off the present and into the future.
0: Okay. Right? Yeah. That was part of my intuitive plan was to talk about what his life could look like 10 years from now.
2: So your first question is, do you want to be a hostage to the present?
0: I would ask him something like that. Yeah. You know, put it maybe in different words. Uh Do, no. you, want to, do you want to stay stuck no. where you are?
2: Well, all right, so that's not bad. But you want to stay stuck where you are. You're still driving for a no, but hostage is a more emotional word, isn't it? It is. Earlier on, we talked about pressing emotional buttons, did we not?
0: Yeah. We want them to feel some
2: things. Right. Autonomy is a key issue. Now, being stuck and being a hostage, which is more of a threat to your autonomy? Gosh. No, you're right.
0: You're absolutely right.
2: I'm creating emotional moments. What are those emotional moments? The emotional moments that prod action. What prods action? More than anything else. Is fear of loss. Hmm. There's a Nobel Prize in behavioral economics that says so. From 2002, Daniel Kahneman. I read that book, Thinking Fast and Slow. Yep, lost things twice as much as an equivalent gain.
0: You want to illustrate how this person really is going to lose things in their life if they don't take this opportunity,
2: right? And we know that to be true. But a lot of people want to pitch game. But it's loss first. 70% of buy decisions are made to avoid loss.
0: Loss first, pitch gain second, if at all, I would imagine.
2: Exactly. And this is Maslow's hierarchy needs from way back when. You can't think about gains until you're satisfied you're going to survive. That's gold.
0: Loss first, pitch gain. Anything else? I mean, even just that makes me want to go into this negotiation, but I'll probably
2: screw up the rest of it. Anything I need to do after that? What you're trying to do is you're trying to affect what's in this guy's head. This guy's head right now. He's comfortable. He's safe and secure. That's right. And he's not moving out of that position unless something else more important is at stake. You're more likely to take a risk to avoid a loss than you are to accomplish a gain. Again, Daniel Kahneman, prospect theory, Nobel right. Prize in behavioral economics. Right. This ain't me making this up. No, no. We found this out in, back in the 1970s as hostage negotiators. We just didn't know that it was neuroscience based or that somebody else in another arena would get uh, the Nobel Prize because it's so true. (laughs) Fear of loss is the oversized motivator of human decision making. It's not the only motivator, but it's the oversized motivator. You know, if you're basically lazy, why are you not taking your highest percentage shots? Right. Your highest percentage shot is fear of loss. So there has to be something more at stake, something bigger, something more important, something that's the Hall of Fame, something that provides immortality, something that provides generational security for his family. Yeah. So his kids can get a college education versus can he pay for his cable bill now? Right. You're trying to get money for a haircut. You're trying to get money for your kid's college.
0: Do I also pitch the gain after we establish the loss aversion, the prospect's theory stuff? Do I then pitch the gain?
2: Only if necessary.
0: You're saying it might not even be necessary. It's that powerful of an indicator.
2: Yeah. I'm only pitching that only if necessary because I want them to make the deal for me. Yeah. And then I'm not going to pitch it. There's, there's an approach called guided discovery. You want them to discover it. And again, you're prompting the thought process. You're prompting it with calibrated questions which are a more sophisticated version of open-ended questions. You're calibrating the question to create a thought. When you think of yourself 10 years from now, what do you see? <laughs> That's a calibrated question. It's a when-what combination. Yeah. We refer to it as a time travel question. When you made this decision six months ago, what were you thinking? I'm taking them back in time to the point in time I want them to think. I'm guiding them as a thought with the what question. So it's a win what combination. You can go to a moment in the past, you go to a moment in the future. You take people there and put it right in their face. They don't feel controlled. It's the difference between controlling and guiding. You're guiding Yeah,
0: because it doesn't sound like you're actually controlling them. You're just sort of opening up thoughts in their mind and letting their imagination
2: run. And you're not just guiding them to discovery. You're actually, again, another emotional moment. You're guiding them to epiphany. What happens when you feel an epiphany? It's an enlightening discovery. It's a sense of awe and wonder. It's actually neuroscience telling us all these chemicals are getting dumped into your body. They're serotonin, dopamine, maybe even some forms of adrenaline. But these are emotional moments that last yeah. and keep coming back to us, which means they're self-sustaining. And you want to create emotional moments that sustain themselves and continue to guide action from that point forward. And that's what epiphanies do. So it's not just guided discovery, it's guided epiphany.
0: Chris, what we do, I don't know how familiar you are with StoryBrand, we actually use 2,000 years of narrative structure. That is literally the structure that has been used since Plato, Aristotle, through Shakespeare, through modern box office movies. And what narrative structure actually is, it's guiding people, inviting them step by step into a story that they engage in and somehow live vicariously through. And I'm seeing so much you know, all this psychology overlaps because you're actually saying you need to trigger loss aversion or prospect theory. And that's focusing on the negative consequences of what could happen. That's literally how a story starts. You've structured it very similarly. You identify what somebody wants and then you take it away from them in their imagination and they are unsettled until they actually work to stabilize their life in what's called an obligatory or climactic scene, which you've structured as guiding them toward an epiphany this is all just story structure. You are literally playing the director in a movie that you're putting in their brain and letting them be the actor or the hero inside of that movie, guiding their own agency, accepting their own agency and guiding it toward a climactic scene that hopefully is beneficial for both of you. It's fascinating to me that those two, the marketing framework, some of this negotiation stuff actually overlaps.
2: That's really interesting. And what we're talking about is 2,000 years of human behavior, right?
0: Yeah. So again, neither you or I invented it. But what's brilliant about what you did is you were actually able to make it applicable and useful for the common good.
2: Well, that's exactly right.
0: Well, I'm grateful for it. I go into a call here in about 20 minutes, and I'm going to use this stuff right away. And I would imagine the 50,000 business leaders who are listening to us are going to use it uh, right away, too. The book is called Never Split the Difference. I have a feeling it actually is uh, much easier to apply than the 40 minutes that we've actually had the pleasure of talking, Chris, but first of all, I want to thank you for your service to the country. I want to thank you for service to the hostages that you've seen uh, be free. And then, you know, another special place in my heart are these 27 million small businesses who are waking up trying to make ends meet, trying to give their employees a raise, trying to provide health care, and they all need to know this stuff in order to make that happen. I'm very, very grateful for how you have leveraged your talent for the better good.
2: Thank you very much. It's much appreciated. Besides the book, can we tell them about the newsletter?
0: Yeah, do it. Where do we need to go to find out more about you?
2: The newsletter is short and sweet. It's complimentary. It's free. Comes out Tuesday mornings. It's it's not going to wear you out. It's not one of those newsletters with 50 different choices and you don't know what to read. Right. One piece in it. Tuesday morning as you're getting your week rolling. Text to sign up is the easiest way to sign up. Plus, the newsletter is a gateway to Everything that we do, it's a gateway to the website. It's a gateway to our company. The website's blackswanltd.com. But the simple way to sign up for the newsletter is to send a text message to the number 22828. The number again is 22828, 22828. Message you send is FBI empathy, all one word, lowercase. Don't let your spell check. Put a space between FBI and empathy. It's got to okay. be one word. You get a text response back to sign up for the newsletter.
0: Okay, so it's FBI Empathy, all lowercase, to 22828? Yes. FBI Empathy, all lowercase, to 22828, and we'll hear from you every Tuesday. Are those just negotiation tips that we could practically use that day and week?
2: Yes, exactly.
0: All right, Chris, thanks so much for coming on. I'm so glad to introduce our listeners to you, man.
2: It's a pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
0: Congrats on all your success.
2: Thank you.
1: I love the guy. Seriously. So <laughs> after that interview, how would you now, like you heard him, how would you now handle that situation? Well, I will say like if I bank? were a
0: hostage in a bank, I'd want him talking to the guy oh, who's got
1: 100%, me. percent 100%. You know,
0: I think the big thing that I take away from that conversation, I would want to be endlessly curious. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know? So if I were in a political position and I were trying to negotiate a deal, I would want to be endlessly curious yes. about whoever my opponent is yeah. in that negotiation. I wanna know everything that they're thinking, because there's something in the blind spot of our thinking that we're not seeing that we can agree on. Yeah. And that's what I'm endlessly curious about. Yes. And I would hope that whoever I'm negotiating with would feel the same way. You know,
1: when you're working with your staff, when you're working yeah. with vendors, when you're working with clients, you're looking for, you know, the win-win of like, well, how can you give them a win and get a win? And you have to be curious in order to do that.
0: You know, the enemy of all this is binary thinking. Yeah. There is always a third way. And the reality is there's a third, fourth, fifth, all the way yeah. to the 500,000th way. Yeah. But to say the way you're thinking about it or the way I'm thinking about it is the enemy. Yeah. There is something else that together we can come up with that will make everybody or most people happy yeah. and make progress happen. So, endless curiosity. And, love you it. know, he didn't even love really that. get into that. No, but
1: I love that. That's but that's like the, it felt like that was the theme away. of yeah.
0: the conversation. Yeah. JJ, we're just getting an MBA in business. <laughs> For real. This podcast. We get paid to <laughs> For do this. For real.
1: I love it. It's so ridiculous.
0: Much. And so are you. So are our listeners. You're getting yeah. an MBA in business. Yeah. Anyway, Chris's book is called Never Split the Difference. You want to pick it up on Amazon. I actually bought it and have been going through it myself. It's fantastic stuff. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's music on Spotify or iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business.